Welcome to the Covenant Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at covenantchurch.net. So grateful for God's presence, for His glory. We are working through 2 Peter chapter 1, and today we'll begin in chapter 2. In just a few moments, we'll read together in verses 1 through 10 about Peter instructing us on how to know and understand false teachers and how to combat false teachers and to uh, be able to be on guard against those who, will, who would teach errant doctrines of the faith. You'll recall that over the last few weeks, Peter has been focusing our attention on the centrality of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the center of our faith, Jesus Christ being the center of Scripture, Jesus Christ being the one who we focus ourselves on in terms of obedience to His Word. We're obedient because of the grace that has been shown to us by Jesus Christ, the centrality of Christ. And the reason and the purpose for that is that He is going to show to us and teach us about false teachers who will come in and try to draw us away from the centrality of Christ to cause our eyes to look away from Jesus as the center of our faith. And the false teachers that he will speak to us about will do the same thing that the enemy did in Genesis chapter 3, and that the enemy caused Adam and Eve to question God's word. He said, did God really say? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat? of that particular fruit, of that particular tree in the midst of the garden. And he appealed to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eye. And she saw that it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. False teachers who are in existence in the first century and are even in existence today appeal to those same three areas of our life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If you would stand with me as we read together in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Peter writing, to the churches says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them as an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, ungodly, the godly from temptation and to, keep the unrighteous from un, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you thanking you for the public reading of your word and asking you by the power of your spirit to guide us to speak to us through the preached word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help me 
to preach the word faithfully as you have intended it to be preached, and that you would give all of us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us. We thank you, Lord, Lord, that we can stand upon this promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to speak to you about two thoughts as it relates to this passage. One is the destruction of the wicked, and two is the deliverance of the righteous. The destruction of the wicked and the deliverance of the righteous. This is, in essence, what Peter is pointing us to here in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 is he's speaking to us about the destruction of the wicked or the destruction of false prophets and those who would follow after false prophecies and the deliverance of the righteous from the temptation to follow after false prophecies or false prophets or false teachers. And so let's look at specifically the destruction of the wicked. Destruction of the false prophets. He says in the beginning, false prophets also were among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. He's saying that there were false teachers among those who were leading and teaching in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you here in the first century, and just as there will be false teachers among us here in our day. We have to make no bones about it, that there are people who are teaching false doctrine in order to draw people away after their own fleshly desires. And he'll talk more about this in a little bit. But he gives us some characteristics of the false teachers. They are wicked. They're working against Christ. And what we must understand is that there are simply two spheres of existence, light and darkness. There is no middle ground. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either following the Lord Jesus Christ or you're following your master, the devil. We don't like to couch it in terms like that. We like to sort of paint over it and kind of make it nice and, and pretty that it's okay to follow Christ, but we don't like to say that other people are following the devil. But the Bible was clear that if you're not in Christ, if you're not following after righteousness, if you're not consistently pursuing righteousness, then then in essence what you are pursuing is your own fleshly lust, and that is uh, given to you by your father, the devil. There's only two paths for us to follow in life. False teachers teach that there's multiple paths, multiple ways to God, but in fact, there are only one. And in fact, the false teachers in Peter's day and the false teachers in our day are evangelists for Satan, satanic evangelists. Just as there are gospel evangelists who go to people who haven't heard the gospel and preach the gospel message and share the gospel message and that there would be people who would believe in Jesus and come to a saving relationship with him, there are also those who go about teaching false doctrines in order that they may evangelize for Satan and call people in order to follow after the satanic principalities and the satanic powers and indulge themselves in the lust of the flesh. There are only two ways. We can identify the false teachers by the things that they practice. And the first thing that they practice is that they deny sound doctrine. Peter says that they introduce destructive heresies, they exploit with false words, and that they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They use their words to develop a theology, a belief system, an understanding of God, which is actually antichrist. They are subtle. They're not direct. They do not stand before you and say, now, point one, I will introduce to you destructive heresies. Point two, I will exploit you with false words. And point three, I will lead you to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not how false teachers approach us. In fact, false teachers will even use a hint of truth in their destructive doctrines. They will begin with the word of truth and then lead you away and follow, following the path of Satan. There are those false teachers who will affirm that you don't have to abide by any law. You don't have to abide by any, you don't have to be obedient 
to the Lord Jesus and to what he calls you to do. There are no more requirements. If you simply say that you love Jesus and believe in your heart, then you can go out and live however you want and believe that the grace of the Lord will simply cover you and follow you and you'll be okay in the day of the Lord. And the Lord will say, come into your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want. That's a destructive doctrine because Scripture affirms to us that when we come into relationship with Jesus, yes, our relationship with the Lord Jesus is paid for by his death on the cross, but once we are in relationship with him because of our love for Jesus, we walk in such a way that we deny the fleshly desires and seek to fulfill godliness and righteousness in our life. Now, we may not do that perfectly. We may stumble from time to time, but there is grace for us and we continually follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and continually seeking him to pattern our life after him. Those who preach a gospel without law tell you, you do not have to abide by any of the moral uh, imperatives of Scripture. But then there are those who will seek to put burdens upon us that we cannot bear and they themselves cannot bear as well. That's called legalism. And what legalism says is that Jesus comes to you and Jesus saves you, but Jesus' grace really isn't free. You have to do A, B, C, and D in order for Jesus to be pleased with you. You have to do A, B, C, and D in order to earn the grace of God. This is where people come into relate or try to come into relationship with the Lord, or maybe you've shared the gospel with someone and they say, Well, I've got to get cleaned up first. I've got to do something in order to earn favor with God. Or I have to wear Uh, my clothes a certain length or act a certain way or whatever in order for Jesus to be pleased with me. And here's where things kind of get mixed up and messed up. One who loves Jesus, who's following after Jesus, who longs to be like Jesus, longs to be modest. We don't do those things in order to earn a better place with God. We do those things because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has been poured forth in our heart and we don't want to bring offense to other people and we don't want to unduly tempt other people. We want to follow Jesus and we want to walk in the path of righteousness. We get things mixed up. Legalism. That's a destructive heresy because you will never keep up you will never be able to do all the things that everyone says you have to do all the time in order to continually earn God's favor. This is why the Old Testament law all pointed to Jesus. You can't do all these things to become righteous. Only in Christ do you become righteous. Only in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ do we become righteous. But in our relationship with Jesus, our affections are set upon him. And our overwhelming desire is to please him in all things. Legalism is a destructive heresy, as destructive as those who say there is no law at all. Universalism is also a destructive heresy. Universalism says in the end, everybody will be saved. See, the Bible says that it's God's will that none should perish, right? So whatever God's will is, that's what God will accomplish, If it's God's will that none would perish, and certainly in the end, none would perish. A tinge of truth, but taken out of its context, leads to a destructive doctrine. And in fact, that doctrine is very clearly being preached in pulpits, at least in this country and probably throughout the world today. I'm aware of preachers who preach that doctrine. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you follow the law or whether you don't follow the law. It doesn't matter because in the end, it's God's will that all will be saved. 
and leading many, many astray who will follow after their own lusts and their own desires, which is exactly what Peter tells us. They deny sound doctrine, and then they follow after their own sensuality. They are greedy, he says, and they indulge the flesh. The greed comes directly from the Garden of Eden. God said, of all these trees in the Garden of Eden, you may eat of all of them. Well, where did the flesh come in? The flesh said, okay, I want all of them, but I want that one that you said not to eat of too. And I want that fruit. I want to eat that fruit. It looks good to me. It looks better than everything else that I've been given. And I want that one. That's what happens when we begin to compare ourselves and our place in life with other people. Well, why does this person get to live that kind of life? Why does this person not have to deal with the health challenges that I have to deal with? Why does this person not have to deal with the financial challenges that I have to deal with? Why does this person have to be in this kind of relationship that looks all wonderful and I'm in a relationship that is horrible? We begin to compare ourselves to other people because what false teachers try to do is to make the gospel about you and about me. The false teachers try to point us and tell you that your desires should be fulfilled. But what the gospel teaches us is that as we set our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things will be added to us. Matthew 6, 31 and 33 says, Don't worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? See, the false teachers want you to worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear for clothing. In our day, what kind of car you drive, what kind of bank account you might have, how well off you are, what you have put back for retirement, whatever it may be, what kind of house you want, whatever it may be. The false teachers want you to long after the lust of the flesh. I need a body that looks like this. Jesus says the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. See, we ought to expect the world outside to eagerly seek after those things. They control the media. And what you see on the media is the pursuit of all the fleshly desires. Fame, fortune, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. I wouldn't ask you to turn it on because I think it's trash. And what it does to a Christian, when you continually sit there, you think, I should have that kind of lifestyle too. And when you see these television shows and things where people interact in such a way and the relationships pan out in such a way and Hollywood makes it look all wonderful and beneficial and whatever else, you think, well, my relationship should be like that too. And the way I interact with my spouse will be in the way that that person interacts with their spouse. We take our eyes off the godly relationships that should be in our community of faith and we put them on something that is outside of us and we look at them and we want that. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need food and drink and clothing. He knows that you need relationships that are intact. He knows that you need to take care of the bills next week. He knows that you may have an unhealthy body image that needs to be corrected. The Lord knows all of these things, but how do you receive all these things? Do you receive all these things through following after the pattern of the world and following after the pattern of those who are teaching false gospel? and grabbing for them yourself? Or do you seek after them by what the Lord says, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then the promise that we stand on as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is that all these things will be added to you. As I seek first Jesus and I seek first Jesus's kingdom, all the things that I think I desire will be added to me because the things that I desire that are not righteous, they will pass away because now I'm seeking Jesus. And as I seek Jesus and I seek 
Jesus' kingdom, my desires become kingdom desires. My desires are removed from the unhealthy desires, but now my desires become healthy desires, seeking after Jesus and seeking after his kingdom. The result of those who follow after the false teachers is that they follow after their own sensuality, Peter says, and that the way of truth is maligned. So a false teacher job, a false teacher's job is not to go get a group of unbelievers and pull them together and follow after the false teacher with a group of unbelievers. Because remember, a false teacher is a satanic evangelist. So a gospel evangelist, what does a gospel evangelist do? A gospel evangelist goes where the gospel hasn't been preached. So you see gospel evangelists going to people who haven't heard the gospel message or people who haven't responded to the gospel message. A satanic evangelist then does the opposite. A satanic evangelist is going to try to sneak in among the flock of God. Because remember, there's only two kingdoms at work here, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. So the kingdom of darkness is fighting against the kingdom of light. It's not fighting against itself. Jesus said a house divided won't stand. So the kingdom of darkness is not fighting against itself trying to get unbelievers to believe false doctrine because unless they come to Christ, they're already doomed to destruction. So the satanic evangelists seek to come into the fellowship of the righteous. They seek to break in, infiltrate the fellowship of the righteous and then begin to sow the seeds of their false doctrine. And the Bible says that many will follow Many, not a few, not one or two, not just a small portion, but many will follow after the teachings of the false prophets because many desire to follow after their own sensuality. The temptation is there. The false teachers will come to you and they will visit you at the point of your greatest temptation. What is it that you find in your life is the point of your greatest temptation? That is where you must be on guard. Because a false teacher will come along somewhere, sometime, and say to you, it's okay. Live it out. Go after your own sensuality. Go after your own enticement. It's okay. Jesus will love you anyway. Everyone will be saved. And we're tempted to believe it because we're drawn after our own desires. And Peter says that the way of truth will become malign. So what happens is false teachers come in, they pull some in the church away, and they go after their own greedy desires, and then the people on the outside say, See, look, I told you a bunch of hypocrites! The way of truth becomes maligned. So we can't go after the people who the crowds follow because... A crowd is not necessarily indicative of true teaching because the Bible said many will follow after the teachings of the false prophets. They may be the ones drawing the big crowd. They may be the ones gathering a lot of people to themselves. We have to understand that the false teachers are in it for themselves and they are willing to distort the gospel for personal gain. But there is safety in a biblically functioning church. There is safety in a biblically functioning church. A biblically functioning church sees, seeks to do the work of Jesus because what it is trying to do is to keep the body focused toward the Lord Jesus Christ and kingdom causes. 
But when the enemy comes in and he tries to bring in destructive heresies among us, what he seeks to do is to sow discord among the body. So if you and I look around in this body today and we see the faces of people that we are in fellowship with, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has put us together for a purpose. It's not that you and I are to just sit here together on Sunday morning, say amen, lift our hands, and go out and just do life among the world. God has called us together in order that we would do life together, that we would be protected in the fellowship of the church. When Jesus talks in the Gospels and he says that I am the door, what he's referring to is he is the door of the sheepfold. In that day, that illustration would have been very poignant because a shepherd would have uh, had a a a gathering of maybe bramble vines or brush, and he would have made sort of like a fence-like enclosure uh, around, and he would have, in the evenings, would have gathered his sheep into that enclosure. So just picture it, uh, if you would, a, a kind of circular enclosure with an opening for the shepherd to kind of encourage his sheep to come in so that the sheep would be together. And Jesus Uh, As the good shepherd, the Bible says, he's the door. He's the one the shepherd would actually sleep in the doorway of the sheepfold. So when Jesus says, I am the door, and anyone else who comes in by any other way except through me, anyone who tries to come in as a thief and a robber, because that's exactly what the thieves and the robbers would do. They would try to come in the sheepfold from another way, because if they came in through the door, the shepherd is there to beat them back. Well, this is the concept that carries through in the New Testament. You and I are called to faithful relationship with one another in the body of Christ that Jesus died for, the church. See, Jesus did not die for parachurch organizations. They are simply there to serve the church. Some are very faithful. We work with many in our community and around the world. But it is the church that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. And it is the church that you and I must be faithful to. Have you watched the National Geographic television shows? And you see maybe... The herd of animals that is in the desert and the lion is looking for someone to pounce upon so that he can have dinner that night. Who does he get? The one on the periphery who's straggling out. This is exactly how the enemy works and God has given us even the created order to look at as an example for us. We must be people, you and I, who ensure that Covenant Church is a biblically functioning church. You and I must be consistent. See, what the enemy wants you to do is to get upset with someone and hop on across town to someplace else because there are other churches in town that are doing a good work for Jesus. There are other preachers who are standing in the pulpit, who are preaching a gospel message, who are just as earnest about saving souls, who are just as earnest about world missions, who are just as earnest about doing a good work. So what is going to set us apart? It's the people in this room looking around, holding one another accountable. But what the enemy wants to do to you is to cause you to get disgruntled, to get upset, and to hop somewhere else, and then somewhere else in a year or two, and somewhere else in a year or two, so you never build biblically functioning relationships with the people that you're in fellowship with. Pastor Bear mentioned Brother Thurman Henry this morning. We pray for Brother Thurman. He's in the hospital. He's losing blood. They're not sure why or how. He's had a mild heart attack. I don't know how the words mild and heart attack go together. I'm not a medical person, so I don't understand that. Heart attack always seems major to me. But he's still coherent, still talking. Pastor Bear visited him this morning. I visited him yesterday in the hospital at 91 years old, who's been an elder of this church since 1952 when we were started by the Nortonsville Church of God. 
Brother Thurman Henry, who's been faithful in so many ways. And when I visited him in the hospital room, he's given praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying things that make us think that he is uh, nearing the end of his journey because he's thinking about things that are important to him. And you know what's important to him? What is important to him is this Bible study that's taking place back in this room or back in this corner throughout times or over in the other building, but consistently he's been faithful to it. And now he has two other brothers, Brother Dennis Lambert, Brother Dennis Holmberg, who help him. And when I was in the hospital yesterday, when Pastor Barry was in the hospital today, he said the same thing to both of us. I want you to tell the two Dennises to be faithful with the gospel in my Bible study class, to keep teaching, to keep sharing, to keep focusing on what God has called them to do. That's where we ought to be when we are faithfully in a church since 1952. At times, work may lead us to engage with another fellowship. Maybe a move somewhere else may lead us to engage with another fellowship. What shouldn't cause us to go to another fellowship is because we get upset with someone. Imagine since 1952, do you think it's within the realm of possibility that Brother Thurman Henry ever got offended? Or is it within the realm of possibility that maybe he offended someone else? He's not that type, but we've probably all offended someone from time to time. But you know what Brother Thurman has done and what you and I should do is follow after Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 tells us that if we have an offense against someone, we're to go to that person. See, we like to quote a portion of that passage that says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. Whatever they ask for shall be granted. Well, that passage comes out of Matthew chapter 18, and it's not about you and I just holding hands together and just stomping our foot and declaring, this is what I declare, this is what I declare, and because you and I agree on it, God grants it to us. That's not what that passage at all is talking about. That passage is talking to us about the fact of church discipline. That if there is an offense in the midst, if I use Pastor Dana first service, I'll use Pastor Noel this service. If Pastor Noel and I have an offense against one another, the Bible calls us then to try to bring reconciliation between he and me, he and I. I'm to go to him or he's to come to me and we're to try to work it out together because that's what Jesus has called us to do. But if I'm being stubborn and Pastor Noel can't get through my thick head, then he's to go to another faithful brother or sister and ask them to go with him to try to talk some sense into this thick head. And the purpose of it is to say, come back to righteousness. So if it's an offense, if I'm walking astray in a path that I ought not be walking, his job is to come to me and to try to pull back to repentance. If that doesn't work, the Bible explains that there's a broader path. We take it to the elders of the church. Let them adjudicate the situation. But most times what I've experienced is people don't go that far. They'll get an offense and then go to the next place. And you know what? They're going to find offense there too. And the next place, and the next place. Because I can look in the mirror at the morning when I'm getting ready and have an offense at the person I'm looking at. If there's one of me in a room, I can offend myself. If there's two of us together, there's probably sure to be an offense at some point. But God has given us a biblical pattern within the church to bring restoration, to bring peace, to bring grace, to bring hope, to make sure the church stays together and is functioning biblically together and is working it out in a godly way. There is safety in a biblically functioning church. The false teachers come in to try to draw you away from a biblically functioning church. 
Peter tells us to give us an understanding that the false prophets, those who are seeking to draw people away, have a destiny. And that destiny is destruction, swift destruction. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. They are under punishment for the day of judgment. What was happening is those who were faithful in the church were wondering if these false teachers are coming in and are drawing people away from the gospel. Why is God not doing something about it? Why is God not judging these people who are doing damage to the kingdom of God? And Peter is assuring them by his words that judgment will come. Judgment will come. There is an individual who's not known by any of you. In fact, part of my extended family. And from that individual being a very young man, throughout his entire life, he thought secretly he's been living a life under the radar, doing things that he ought not be doing. Had a knowledge of God, lived for God, or said he lived for the Lord, was part of a church, attended church, from time to time made ruckuses in the church, And now at 80 years old, the fountain of the cesspool of his life is overflowing and coming out in public in full view. Judgment was not idle. Judgment was not idle. When you look around and you wonder in this world, when will God visit us, and righteousness will rule and reign upon the earth. When we look around and we think about the evil and the wickedness, and we maybe flip on the television, or maybe you read an article on a publication that talks about some of the wicked things that may be even going on in some supposed churches, and you wonder, God, when will you bring judgment? Peter says to us that God's judgment is not idle. It will come, and it has been started long ago. And it should be a warning to us who seek to live faithfully. You only fly under the radar for a certain period of time. And the truth will then come out. Today, the only way you can have it covered is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Quickly, Peter gives us Three examples, and I'll move, I will move through them quickly by God's grace. He says, God did not spare the sinning angels. So the angels, before time began, who sinned and were cast down from heaven, you can read about this in, very, in the various prophetic books, Daniel also in Revelation, Jude verses 6 and 7 also gives us insight into that. These angels that were cast down tells us how God uh, ordered celestial judgment. Angels who were being uh, wicked and following after their own sensuality, God judged them. He did not spare them, but Peter says, sent them to hell. And then he says, God did not spare the ancient world, Noah and the flood. God uh, uh, executed a flood upon the earth at the time because it was wicked in all of its desires except for Noah and his family, and that God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah civic judgment on specific cities because of their immorality, and he reduced them to ashes. All of these were given as an example to us that God will destroy, execute judgment upon the unrighteous. If you were working in school and you were in a math class, oftentimes you would have at the beginning of your math lesson an example. And that example was to show you everything that was going to come after it that you were to work out. It gave you a pattern in order that you could work out that pattern in future problems. This is what Peter says these were. The celestial judgment of the angels, the terrestrial judgment of the earth and the wickedness of the earth, and the civic judgment on specific cities 
was for our example for us to look at to understand the unrighteous will be judged. But with the example of Noah and the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, it is an example to us that God also delivers the righteous. God preserves the righteous as God preserved Noah. God preserved the righteous as God preserved Lot. Peter says that Lot was tormented in his soul by lawless deeds from the people around him. Imagine Noah in his day, a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says, and yet seeing all of the wickedness that was going on around him. People who were hurling accusations at him as he was building an ark because God had promised that there would be rain. Rain hadn't come upon the earth. But he grabbed hold of God's promise and lived it out faithfully, believing that what God said, God would complete it. And Peter tells us that if God has done these things, if God by his promise has executed judgment on the unrighteous in times past, and if God by his promise has delivered the righteous out of the temptations that the ungodly brings to him, or her, that God knows how to deliver us in our day from temptation as well. Remember, the false teachers will come to you and they will tempt you away at the point of your greatest temptation. Think about your greatest temptation. Is it bitterness, anger, lust, sensuality, greed? Just for a moment, open that door of ugliness just enough to see where it lies for you. And know that the false teachers, the evangelist of Satan, will come to you and visit you at the point of your greatest temptation. Because when Jesus comes and the gospel is presented to us and we receive the gospel, it's at the point of our greatest need. Two kingdoms, light, darkness, righteousness, unrighteousness. Be on guard push into the church. If you're on the periphery, stand with me. This will be our commitment. If you're on the periphery this morning, if you're on the periphery of the church this morning, please stand. It's okay. <laughs> if you're on the periphery this morning, push in deeper into the fellowship. Don't complain about what the church may not have or may not do at this season of your life to appeal to you. If you need fellowship with people, if you need more people in relationship with you, if you need more people to show hospitality to you, you show hospitality to others. Whatever it might be that you need in your life or you need the church to minister to you, call people in this fellowship around to be in relationship with you to help meet that need. If you want greater friendships, deeper friendships, invite people into your sphere of influence. Invite people into your home. Invite people into your life. Share with them what you're struggling with. Share with them what you are challenged with. If they're truly in the body of Christ, they will care for you and love you. And if they're not truly in the body of Christ, what does it matter anyway? You want them out of your life. You don't want someone in your life who's continually pulling you and calling you to follow after Satan. Yes, you and I ought to preach the gospel, share the gospel to those who haven't heard. But our most primary relationships must be with those who are in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would take it one step further. Your most primary relationship should be with the people in this fellowship.
Social media is a wonderful thing in terms of people who are sharing the gospel to encourage people to share the message of the cross. But social media can call you to have relationships from back there that are past high school, people you're not even in physical proximity to anymore. Some people care more for those relationships than they do the people in this room. If that's you, get off. Press in to the body of Christ. Press in to God's people because the time is coming when the false teachers will only ramp up their voice. What I would like us to gather together this morning and do at the altar. I asked in first service, I'm going to ask you here in second service, if we can gather here at the altar together. If you're up in the balcony, you can even just make it to the front, or if you can make it down the stairs, please do so. And our singular focus this morning is not going to be on praying for ourselves and praying for our need and praying for what's going on in my life. Our singular focus in prayer this morning is that you and I will pray for this local body, that we would stand strong, that we would preach the gospel, that we would call people to righteousness, that we would live out this work of the Spirit faithfully. That is something that we all have to be concerned about. That is something that we all must set our face towards and pray for. That Covenant Church will stand as a beacon of righteousness, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, that what comes from this pulpit, that what comes from these classrooms is the Word of God. We must be concerned about that. We must be focused towards that end, and we must earnestly seek the Lord that God would help us to do that, that we wouldn't be enticed and drawn away from our own fleshly or toward our own fleshly desires. Let's pray together this morning. Let's all pray together this morning. Seek the Lord this morning. a church we come and stand in this place asking for your grace the false teacher and the satanic evangelists are getting into medias and stealing our children are stealing our family stealing our relationships and making ungodly soul ties which is entering into our families and we are tied up not knowing the difference between the good and the bad Lord Jesus we pray at this moment that you have a plan to rescue the righteous yes and we pray that the rescue plan will be released now into this church into people who are standing in this place and let the healing of God let the eye opening of God the angelic move and the presence of God will penetrate into the spirit of each and everyone who is standing in this place and they will see this week a huge difference in their personal relationship with you and Holy Spirit you're going to stir up their hearts yes. and enlighten their minds Thank you. because your word says the God of this age uh, blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
and every thought that was raising against the knowledge of God we uprooted in Jesus name Lord we come and stand and ask with humbleness that we made a mistake not giving sufficient time as a family as an individual to stay in your presence that's why in our generation we are struggling very much but thank you for this wonderful church and pastors who are leading us lord into the dynamic word of god thank you lord as we leave this place we will take the glory of you and will be led in the spirit not by the fleshly desires we stamp it we nail it on the cross yes. and we want to put to death everything that is not of god in our life yes lord we ask for forgiveness lord we plead for your mercy this morning hallelujah thank you lord in jesus name thank you in jesus name amen amen we sing this just together just briefly before we go this morning promises. You are the risen king. Our trust and hope is in you. We stand firm upon that promise. And God, I pray, oh Lord, help us by your grace to keep our eyes focused on you. That we will stand firm in the faith. We will not lose sight. We rejoice in your goodness. We thank you for your spirit. We long for the day of your coming. go with us lord jesus in the name above every name we pray amen and amen go in the grace and peace of the lord jesus christ god bless you this morning brother bless you